excited to get into the God's Word with you today. We are going to be in Isaiah chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 1. So if you have a copy of the Bible with you and you want to start flipping and put your thumb in a place so that you can be there when we get there, that's great. Otherwise, the, uh, the words will be up on the screen as well. When I was a child, one of the things I used to love to do is I used to love to fly. My dad traveled quite a bit for business when I was a kid, and every so often he would accumulate enough frequent flyer miles that the entire family, I have two sisters, so all five of us could go somewhere together and we could fly on a plane. And I remember loving that experience. I enjoyed everything about it. I I wondered about this plane taking off at hundreds of miles an hour and flying high above the earth's surface. I remember walking onto the plane and the cockpit door would be open and the pilots would be going through their last minute checks and I would peek inside that cockpit and see the pilot and co-pilot sitting there and I would think to myself, wow, these are the guys who are in control. I bet no matter what happens, they know what to do. And I would go and I would walk down that narrow aisle which seemed plenty big when I was a child and I would find my seat Uh, which had plenty of leg room only back then, and I would sit down in that seat, and I would buckle my seatbelt, and I would sit back, and I would think to myself, this is amazing. What could possibly go wrong? As I've gotten older, my thought process has changed. Now when I go to get on a plane, things are a little bit different. I don't anticipate the situation with as much eagerness as I used to. In fact, now when I go to get on a plane, I think to myself, this is amazing that we're going to take this complicated machine with millions of parts, barrel it 100 miles an hour down a runway, and throw it six miles above the Earth's hard and very unforgiving surface. And when I walk onto a plane, I now walk in and the door is open and the two pilots or the pilot and the co-pilot are sitting there going through their final check. And now it's not so much a a situation of, of adoration. It's more a situation of evaluation. I look in that door and I think to myself, wow, these guys are driving the plane? All right. I really hope they know what they're doing. I bet, I wonder to myself, if something happens and something goes wrong, do these people really know how to take control? There's only one Sully Sullenberger, and he is retired. So do these guys know what they're doing? And then I go and sit in my seat, and I can't help but think to myself, there are a ton of things here that could go wrong in this situation. And what happens is, is I've become aware as I've gotten older, when I get onto a plane, that I am not the one who is in control. When I go onto that plane and I sit down, other than trying to make sure my kids stay in their seats and I can pick a TV station if it's a good airline, other than that, I am not the one who is in control of this situation. And as I've gotten older, I've become more and more aware of that fact that when I sit in that seat, I am totally out of being in control. And what happens to us, what happens to me, what happens to all of us when we find ourselves in those situations where we are not the ones in control is that we begin to become nervous and even afraid in those situations. When all of a sudden we wake up and realize, you know, if something goes wrong here, 
I'm not the one who's in a position to be able to fix it. If, if things go bad or we take a look at our life and we realize that things are kind of going out of control and, and we say to ourselves, I've I got to figure out a way to get back in control, we get fearful and we become afraid when we realize that things are out of our control. You know, maybe you find yourself in a situation in life where you know what that feels like to be in a place where you feel like you're losing control and that loss of control is leading you to be afraid. Maybe your child's walking down a road that you don't want them to go down or you know it ends in a bad place. But they're the ones that are in control, and you're the one that has to just watch, and you're fearful, you're afraid. Maybe things are going, uh, are difficult in, in your family, maybe in a marriage or just in your extended family, and you're watching things kind of fall apart and head the direction that you don't want them to head, and you feel like you're out of control, and that feeling of being out of control is leading to you being afraid. Maybe it's just life in general. Maybe it feels like life is happening to you and you're not really living life. That the days are so busy and the weeks are so packed that every time you blink, it's another week, it's another month, it's another year, and life just seems to be happening. And you're not sure exactly who's in control of this life that you're living, but you know it's not you who is in control. And it causes, it's causing you to become fearful. It's causing you to be afraid. The question that I want us to think about this morning for just the next few moments that we're together is when we find ourselves in that place where we feel like things are out of control and we're losing a control and it makes us nervous or it makes us fearful or it makes us afraid. When we find ourselves in that place, what is the best course of action? And are there times, are there times in our life when it is actually better for us Better for us to continue to release control to someone else. I think for many of us, our, our gut reaction is to take, try and take control of those situations. Do whatever we can to get our hands back on the wheel. Do whatever we can to, be back to, to find, find a way to be back into control. But are there situations in our life, are there times in our lives, where it is actually better for us to allow someone else to be in control? You know, when Sully Sullenberger was captaining that plane to land in the, in the Hudson River, the worst thing that could have happened was if someone else had gained, had gained control of the plane. If someone else had panicked and grabbed control of the plane, it was best that everybody just sat calm and let Captain Sullenberger be in control. Are there times like that in our lives when it's best for us so rather than try to grab the reins, rather than try to grab the wheel, rather than try to be in control, it is best for us to sit back and allow someone else to be in control. In order to answer that question, I want to tell two stories this morning. Both happened a long time ago. Both are important to talking about this point. Like the first one happened in about 730 B.C. In 730 B.C., in, the, in a region of the world called Judah at the time, it was the place where Jerusalem was located, 
At that time, a king by the name of King Ahaz took control of Judah, and he became king in Jerusalem. Now, the time that King Ahaz took over in 730 B.C., or give or take a couple of years, King Ahaz, he, he took over at that time. It was a bad time to be in charge in the land of Judah. King Ahaz took over from two great kings before him. His grandfather and his father, they both did a great job. They both loved God and served him, and, and the people were blessed in that time. When Ahaz took over, something big was happening. And I think that there's a map that we can throw up on the screen of this. Something big was happening, and that was there was a ruler who was one of the fiercest rulers in world history. His name is Tiglath-Pileser III, and he became king in Assyria. Everything that you see that is green on the map is Assyria, and the land that Tiglath-Pileser III was taking over. So when King Ahaz becomes king, there's a couple things that are happening. One is this horrible ruler, Tiglath-Pileser III, is king of Assyria, and he is starting to take over all of the known world. He, in fact, had the first full-time professional army ever in history. And many of the army was made up of people that he had captured from other lands. So he would capture them, he would make them leave their land, and he would put them full-time in his army. And he would care for them, and he would protect them as long as they fought on his behalf. And in those nations where he took out all the people so he could be their army, he would leave a few people behind. And he would put them high on stakes. He would take, put stakes high up in the air and put the, these bodies on these stakes, just as a reminder to anybody else who would think it was a good idea to cross the Assyrians. Well, King Ahaz takes control of this little tiny country named Judah with this one important city called Jerusalem. And he has this ruthless ruler that is taking over the known world. And that's only part of what's happening to Ahaz at the time. The other thing that's happening is if you can read the map, just to his north there were two other kingdoms. The kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Syria. And this may be hard to believe in our day right now, but at this point, Israel and Syria formed an alliance. They were trying to form an alliance against Assyria, against this horrible ruler, and trying to protect their own countries. And so they formed this alliance and they came to King Ahaz and they said, will you join our alliance against Tiglath-Pileser III. Will you help us fight this madman to the north? And King Ahaz looked at them and he said, there is no way I'm joining an alliance against that guy. There is no way that I am getting this crazy man mad at me and mad at my country. So all the while, while he's having to worry about the Assyrians expanding their kingdom, King Ahaz now has to worry about the, his partners to the north, Israel and Syria, who are now really upset with him, because he wouldn't join their alliance. So what happens is, is that Israel and Syria, Israel and Syria, they form their own alliance against King Ahaz and Judah. And they say to King Ahaz, if you won't join us, then we will find someone who will join us. And they go and they attack Judah. Now I know you all know this, I'm just reminding you of this. Alright, but they go and they attack Judah. When they attack Judah, they're pretty successful. They take away a ton of gold and silver. They take away thousands of people. And they even capture King Ahaz himself and take him to Syria. Well, there's a prophet named Obed. And he comes to the Syrian king and says, you should send Ahaz back to Judah. 
you should send King Ahaz back to Judah. It's not time yet to take over Judah. So the Syrian king, he sends back Ahaz back to Judah. So now King Ahaz, when we find him in Isaiah chapter 7, where we're going to be this morning, when we find King Ahaz, this is what has happened. He has a tyrant, horrible, crazy ruler to the north in the Assyrians who's taking over the known world. He has two countries just to his north that have already attacked him once and still have a bunch of his money and a ton of his people. And now here he is back in Jerusalem, not wondering if he's going to be attacked, but when he's going to be attacked. You see, Ahaz has completely lost control of the situation. Where his grandfather and his father before him had total control of the situation in Judah, Ahaz is out of control. Everything is happening around him, and he's controlling none of it. And the fact that he's out of control leads him to be afraid. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2, he realizes that the alliance between Israel and Syria is still strong. And the Bible says, now the house of David, that's Ahaz's kingdom, was told Aram has allied, uh, allied itself with Ephraim. That's Israel and Syria. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Ahaz was totally out of control, and he was completely afraid. Now into this mess comes God's prophet Isaiah. God sees everything that's happening with Ahaz. And God goes to his prophet Isaiah and says, Isaiah, listen, I need you to go and talk to the king on my behalf. I need you to go and talk to Ahaz. He's in a bad place. He's out of control and he's afraid. I need you to go talk to him. And so Isaiah hears this word from the Lord and he goes and finds King Ahaz to talk to him. When he finds Ahaz, Ahaz is at the upper pool outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. It's the water supply for the entire city. And this is how afraid the king is. He is up looking at the water supply outside the city, wondering to himself, what are we going to do when our enemies come and shut off all the water to Jerusalem? And as he's worrying about this, Isaiah comes to him. And he gives him the message that God has for him. And this is what he says. Isaiah says, in chapter 7, verse 4, God speaks to Isaiah and says, Say to him, say to the king, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because these two smoldering stubs of firewood, that's Israel and Syria, these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah, Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. You see, Ahaz has lost control. His kingdom is under attack. And God comes to Ahaz and says, listen, Ahaz, I'm going to make you a promise. Make you a promise. All these things that you're worried about, Israel and Syria and everyone else coming in here and taking over Judah, I'm telling you right now, it will not happen if you trust me. And Ahaz has a choice to make in the moment. It's the same choice that we have to make in our lives. 
Will he try to take control and fix it himself? Or will he trust the one who is in control? You see, Ahaz had every reason to believe God. Ahaz is a direct descendant of King David. David of David and Goliath, you know David. Direct descendant of King David. And God had already promised David that David's throne would last forever and his line would never end. And so Ahaz had every reason to believe God. God had already promised him that he would not be killed, that his kingdom would last through David. But Ahaz looks at all this stuff that's happening. The crazy Assyrian ruler to the north. This alliance that's taken place between Israel and Syria and already attacked him successfully once before. And when Isaiah speaks again to Ahaz, Ahaz lets him know what he's decided. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, it says in verse 10. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. God says to Ahaz, listen, you don't believe me that I'm going to stop this? Ask me for a sign and I'll give it to you. And Ahaz says this, and this says everything. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. In that one line, Ahaz is saying to God, I've got this one. I know you're saying it will not happen, but I don't believe you. So I'm going to take control of this situation, and I'm going to figure out a way to make sure that Judah is safe. What Ahaz does is he ends up taking all of the gold and silver out of the temple of God that was in Jerusalem and giving it to Tiglath-Pileser up in Assyria. And he gives it to him, and he starts paying him huge sums of money year after year after year so that Tiglath-Pileser will not attack Judah and will attack Israel and Syria on his behalf. When Ahaz says that he won't ask the Lord for a sign, Isaiah knows exactly what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to take control, and God can go do a plan somewhere else. This is what Isaiah says. Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah says to Ahaz, listen, there's a child that's about to be born. This line that that we just read, it's a line that you hear a lot at Christmas, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it's also something that meant something to King Ahaz in his day. Isaiah says there's a, a child that's about to be born. Some people wonder if it was King, Heze- King Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, which, by the way, if you didn't see, they found King Hezekiah's seal this week. Did you see that? If you watch CNN or Fox News, they, they found King Hezekiah's seal. It's the first time archaeologists have ever found a seal related to an ancient king in Israel and Judah, and they found it around the time that the Bible says he reigns, so it's just the Bible's true, and uh, that's all we need. So, um, so. people are wondering who the child is. It could have been King Hezekiah, which is Ahaz's son. They found a seal. And it could have also been Isaiah's second child that was just about to be born. But whatever child it's referring to, Isaiah's saying there's about to be a child born. And that child is going to be a reminder to you, Ahaz, that even when you will not give God control, 
God is still with his people. That child will be known as Emmanuel, God with us, and that child will be a reminder to you, Ahaz, that God is with his people. What happens is that Ahaz gains control himself. And he decides to do everything himself. And things go bad for Ahaz. God protects his people and protects his country, but Ahaz's rule is miserable. The more he feels out of control, the more he heads to the Assyrians. He ends up, the Bible talks about him accepting the Assyrian gods, sacrificing his own children to the Assyrian gods to try and to, and to make everything okay, giving all the money in the land to the people of Assyria. And so by the time Ahaz is done, not only has he killed off most of his descendants, trying to make things right and gain control, but he has also taken all the money that, that Judah had and given it away to some other king. The more he tried to hang on to control, the more things got out of control. There's another story that I want to share with you. One that happens about 700 years later. There's a man named Joseph. And he's about to be married to a woman named Mary. They're engaged to be married. And something happens that makes Joseph feel like he is completely out of control. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if people were chit-chatting over, over snacks after synagogue one week, or if Mary came to Joseph her, him, herself. But somehow, Joseph finds out that his fiance is pregnant. And he is 100% sure it's not his. He knows it's not his child. And here his fiance is, and she is pregnant. Sometimes we glamorize this event so much that we miss how difficult that must have been to hear at the time. And this is, we think we know what conservative culture is. This is a whole nother conservative level of culture. This is a big deal. This is disgrace on Joseph. It's disgrace on Mary. This is a huge deal that she would be pregnant out of wedlock. And of course everyone's going to look at Joseph and and, and they're going to look at, at Mary, and, and they're going to say, Joseph's going to say, listen, it's, it's not mine, I'm not involved, and everyone's going to say, yeah, right. And they're going to look at Mary, and she's going to say, listen, this is the Lord's child, I'm a virgin. Everyone's going to say, this is even crazier. And it's going to be a really difficult situation to try and explain. And so Joseph is out of control. Things are out of his control. And Joseph is afraid. And he comes up with a plan. And his plan, the Bible says, is that he's just going to divorce Mary quietly. He's going to leave her quietly. And then she can go her way and he can go his way. And they'll just start a different life apart from one another. While he's thinking about that, an angel comes to him, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, and gives him this message. Joseph feels out of control, and he is afraid, and the angel comes, and this is what he says. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Remember what God said to Ahaz? Keep calm. Don't be afraid. He says the same thing to Joseph here. Don't be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from 
their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the Bible says that after the angel had left Joseph, Joseph did exactly what the angel had told him to do. Two men, both in a similar situation. Both of them felt like they had lost control of the world around them, and both of them were afraid. King Ahaz decides to grab the wheel, grip it harder, try to steer everything back into control, and Joseph hears from God and and says, God, whatever you're telling me to do, whatever you say is right, I will let you be in control. And God says to him, this child that I'm about to give you, Joseph, This child that you'll name Jesus, his name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Joseph, as you walk in obedience to me, I am with you. I am am walking beside you. And whereas the child in King Ahaz's time was a reminder of God's vengeance against Ahaz, it was a reminder that God is with his people in spite of a king who would go against him. This child is a reminder that God is with Joseph even as he walks through the hard path of obedience. Right now, boy, it is easy to feel like our world is out of control. Our president is talking to us tonight nationally. It's something he's only done twice before in the last seven years. The reason he's talking tonight is because it seems worldwide like things are becoming out of control. We turn on the television, and it's California, and then we turn on the television the next day, and it's London. And we ask ourselves, not if another attack is going to happen in our world, or if another shooting is going to happen in our country. It's come to the point that we're just wondering when. And things seem like they're out of control. And people are becoming fearful. Becoming afraid. Personally, in our own lives, we're walking through things. That's all the stuff we're dealing with in the world. We're walking through things in our own lives, too, with our children and our spouses and and with maybe parents that we're trying to take care of and we're watching over, or maybe our career and where we're headed, or maybe, like I mentioned before, uh, many of us just feel like life is happening and we don't know how to make it meaningful, we don't know how to make it purposeful, and we don't really know how to, how to steer it all back and make it something that, that is valuable and brings us happiness and brings us joy. We're not even sure how to make it happen. And we're caught in those places where not only is the world around us spouting out of control, but it feels like internally and in our closest relationships, things are moving out of our control. And we become fearful when that happens. And so then we're left with this question. Are we going to grab control? Or... Are we going to trust the one who is in control? When we're in these situations, are we going to to grab control and feel like that we have the best solution and that we know how things are supposed to work and do anything that it takes to try and steer things back on track? Or, or, are we going to trust the one who is in control? 
and do what it is that he asks us to do. You know, some of us in this room right now are exactly like King Ahab. There are things that are going in our life and going on in our life, and they're going differently than we want them to. Things that feel like they're going out of control, and our first instinct, our first instinct is to grab the wheel and try to take control. And God is asking us to do something that is different than what we would do on our own. So maybe we're in the midst of a relationship, and that relationship is going away uh, uh, that is apart from what God would have us do. And rather than, than listening to God and doing what he says and trusting the one who is in control, we're saying to God, I am going to be in control, and I'm going to do what I want. Maybe it's with our finances. Maybe there's a situation where your job could advance if you were unethical. And God is saying, if you'll trust me, the one who is in control, I will take care of it. But we are fighting him, and we're saying, God, I'm going to grab the reins. I'm going to the one who's be in control control, and I'm going to do whatever it is I want to do, regardless of what you say. For some of us in this room, maybe you've never allowed God to take control in your life. And the ironic part is, is that it feels like the more that you try to take control of everything that is happening, the harder you grip the wheel the harder you pull on the reins, the more out of control things seem to become. And you keep thinking to yourself, if I can just figure this thing out, if I could just, just steer in the right direction, if I can just get my arms around this whole situation, if I can just figure this thing out, if I could, if I could just figure it out for myself, then everything will be better and everything will be back on track. And as you go, things continue to become more and more out of control, as you grip the steering wheel harder, listen to God less, do what you want more, things continue to spiral out of control more and more. The question before us today is the same question that was posed to King Ahaz. It's the same question that was posed to Joseph when he was with Mary, and that is, are we going to be the ones who take control, or are we going to trust the one who is in control? And do what he says to do. I'm going to invite our worship team back as we prepare to close this morning. And I'd like for all of us to take a few moments as we do. All of these situations that are happening in this world, they're happening worldwide. I mean, even the situation that we prayed for earlier with, with Alex and, and Bridget. And we all know stories like that where it just seems like things are 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 headed out of control. In all of those situations, in all of those situations, what God's word to us is, is do not fear. And that baby, that baby who's lying in the manger, is God's reminder to us that he is with us. No matter what you're going through and no matter how out of control it may seem, that baby who is lying in the manger is Emmanuel. Is God with us? And even if you're in a place where you feel like you've been walking away from God and you've been taking control, God is still with you if you would turn towards him. And in those places 
where it seems like things are out of control, and even though you're doing what God has asked you to do, things continue to seem like they're out of control, this morning I want you to know that even in those places, God is with you. He's still Emmanuel. He's still God with his people. He's still true to his promises. He still wins in the end. He's still coming back. He still loves you. He's still for you. He's for your children. He's for your family. He's for your marriage. So don't abandon what he's calling you to do. But trust him all the more. Would we be the kind of people who don't try to gain control and take it away from God? Would we be the kind of people who say, God, you are the one who is in control. And I am going to trust you. God, I thank you this morning for your word, and I thank you that it is true. Lord, I pray that we would be the kind of people who trust you in what you're saying. And even when we're the only person we know who is following what you say to do, and even when we're the only people who who are going where you say to go, and even when we look at the world around us and we look at our family members and we look at our coworkers and we look at the students we go to school with, and we think to ourselves, and I am the only person I know who is doing what God asks us to do, would we be the kind of people who continue to do it anyway? Trusting that you are in control. Trusting that you know what's best. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you know you're in that place. A place where you're struck with this decision as to whether or not you're going to trust God or whether or not you're going to take control and do something else for yourself. This morning, God is speaking to you and he's saying to you, trust me. Look at that baby that is in the manger and be reminded that I am with you. My promises are true. In just a few moments, we're going to close in a song and I would encourage you to take the time in that song. Talk to God, just you and him. To ask him to give you the faith that you need to do what it is that he's calling you to do. Ask him to help you to believe even when it's difficult. Ask, you to, ask him to help you to trust even when things are out of control. And we would have the courage to follow him. God, move among us in this time. Teach us. Lead us in God as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close this morning, I invite you to stand as we sing. And let's worship the God. Let's worship the God who loves us and leads us. Amen.